Welcome to the Inked Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, with the help of special guest host Remy Nakamura, we discuss Alex Garland's 2018 sci fi film, Annihilation. Now let's form an expedition and head into the shimmer. I'd like to welcome our special guest host, Remy Nakamura. He is a writer of weird, dark, and Lovecraftian fiction. His stories have appeared in Escape Pod, Pseudopod, and a variety of anthologies, including Ride the Starwind Cthulhu, Space Opera and the Cosmic Weird, and Swords vs. Cthulhu, Swift-Bladed Action in the Horrific World of H.P. Lovecraft. He is also a graduate of the Clarion West Workshop and a friend. Welcome to the show, Remy. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about Annihilation. Uh, Remy and I saw it together, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good experience. <laughs> so, I mean, how was the theater? Because you guys went basically the first day, right? You went Saturday, Friday? Uh, I think, sa- oh. yeah, Saturday. So the second day, I guess. Cool. How was that? How was the theater going experience? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, um, I thought the, I mean, this first time going to this particular theater, it was a pretty packed show, I would say. It was pretty full. It's something you want to see on the big screen too. Yeah, uh, all the, the a lot of just amazing, uh, strange visuals, uh, and I'd hate to experience that, you know, on the on a cell phone or absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and I think we're gonna we we definitely have a lot to say about that uh, as far as how people will will experience this film. Um, I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna start off by talking about the filmmaker a little bit, uh, move into our non spoiler, and then kind of talk about our general thoughts. And then we'll move into spoilers. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of section it out so that you, as the audience member, can can kind of know where to stop if you don't want any spoilers. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good to me. So to start us off, um, Alex Garland directed this film. Uh, he is an English novelist, screenwriter, film producer, and director. He rose to prominence as a novelist in the late 1990s with his novel The Beach, and uh, he received is praise. That- let me stop you there. Is that is that the movie that got made with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, Danny Boyle directed The Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, go on. <laughs> so yeah, he wrote a he wrote a. It's funny because he's now on the other side. He's a he's a filmmaker now, so it kind yeah, of meshes cool. well with our podcast here. Uh, he has received praise also for his screenplays because he moved away from from writing novels into screenplays. He wrote Twenty Eight Days Later, Sunshine, Let Me Go, and Dread. So. Okay, yeah. He's written some pretty big stuff. And then uh, in 2015, he directed. He made his directorial debut in, with Ex Machina. And it was nominated for uh, a, an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. So he kind of he kind of made the move over and, and uh, got a pretty prestigious honor with his first film. Did you see that one, Remy? I didn't see that one. Uh, uh, I think you that, would probably enjoy it, honestly. Yeah, after seeing Annihilation, I'm, I'm eager to see more of his work. <laughs> you know it's 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 funny because this this film annihilation uh, kind of goes along with his film ex machina as like a companion piece because without spoiling anything mm-hmm. for you having not seen it it's <laughs> kind of man versus technology and this is man versus nature 
and it's like it's really interesting to to see the parallels and and kind of the the things that are opposite as well as far as non-spoiler goes i just wanted to get your guys's opinion of what you thought of this movie I know you said you it was is visually stunning, but what what did you think of the film uh, in comparison to the book, and just overall thoughts? Yeah, I was gonna say if it's man versus nature, uh, this is some really weird, tripping, you know, like uh, <laughs> on drugs kind of uh, nature. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely yeah, I true. I agree with that. This movie is kind of reminds me of like the prog metal of movies. Which I mean, like if you if you're if you're a fan of like a Dream Theater or Gojira or one of these like kind of obscure, highly technical, odd bands that have like a really devoted fan base, but just aren't for everyone. I feel like this movie's like that. Like if if it's for you, you're gonna love it. But there are like even in our theater, like I could tell there were people who were just like didn't know what to make of it, were weirded out, and maybe weren't even happy. So it's gonna be a mixed bag, I think, for the general public. But I loved this movie. Yeah, I want to go along with that. I think um, if you were, it's one of those ones where you want to kind of put your hands in the, uh, you want to put yourself in the director's hands and and kind of trust trust them and and go along for the ride. You know, uh, set aside some of your expectations uh, for it. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, this is, I mean, le- like just to get my thoughts on it real quick. I, I thought it was stunning. Like I thought it was beautiful i thought it was thought-provoking i thought it played with time and perception and reality and uh incredible production design the the blocking the framing it was just it was a well-crafted film and like you were saying i don't think it is necessarily for everyone i think the first two-thirds of this movie might be for most people but the third act makes it kind of first like sci-fi fans like if you're a sci-fi fan you're gonna love this film all in all and i think most general audiences will like the first two-thirds well enough and then the third one, the third act gets a little crazy. Not just a casual sci-fi fan. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because if, if you like Guardians of the Galaxy, you're like, yeah, I'm a sci-fi fan. Yeah. Like, that's not that kind of sci-fi. <laughs> right. This is 2001, a space odyssey sci-fi. Like, this is like some yeah. heady, cerebral stuff. Right. I feel like it's kind of a mashup of 2001 and then the first two aliens. Yes. Know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I definitely got that vibe. Where, where it has like the... <laughs> yeah. And I, I like um, to... Um, I, I found myself making some comparisons comparisons to uh, apocalypse now mm-hmm. uh like this is heart of darkness right you're uh and you're sending your your troops and the other thing that was that i really dug about this was that you've got this all-female uh, uh patrol that you're sending in there uh and every one of them is badass oh yeah for sure and and that that's a you know that's an echo of the novel and i think just by the virtue of the form i felt more connected to these uh to these women in the movie than i did in the novel um, which we should say uh, we read for the podcast, but Remy also has read the the entire trilogy, so he actually knows even more about it than we do. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know how much that helps with the uh, movie, though. Yeah, I don't know, and 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 it's I mean it's tough because all we we can all we're all seeing this as book readers. Um, as a non book reader, you might have a different experience. Um, but you know we're a book reading podcast, so I think we're you know this is our perspective. So <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as uh, the performances of the cast, I, I agree. They were all. I th- I felt like they, where I know I know that the novel was trying to, kind of give us that really close first person with with the biologist, um, and it worked for for what what he was trying to do with the journal entry kind of thing, and with this, yeah. he, 
Alex Garland was able to connect us to the characters and each of those characters were, were well thought out, fleshed out characters. Like I felt like almost all the characters had an arc and, or had, had, you know, enough to do where it wasn't, they were just, they weren't just there to get killed by creatures and, and that kind of thing. There was, there were stakes to each one of their journeys. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, they had, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say they, they have in these in, inner journeys that that's really different from like your standard horror uh, you know, where people go in and are just there to, to fill a trope and to, to get picked off. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is so much more than just a, like a horror or even just a sci-fi movie. Like it, it's really interesting blend of all that. Like what's one thing I said to Remy right after we saw it is uh, I, I thought it was way creepier and even scarier than I expected for one and two than in a different way than the book is and can be because it's a movie and it can be so visceral um, before we move on past general thoughts, I wanted to, to quote someone I saw on Twitter and I'm going to, I'm going to give them by name cause I don't want to steal their, their, uh, their thought here, <laughs> but, uh, someone named Mark Ash, the real Mark Ash is his handle, but he said that he thought the movie was the cinematic embodiment of the expanding brain meme, which I don't know <laughs> if you guys have seen that yeah. where it's like, it has like three stages of the expanding mind pictures. And then it's normally like three different things. And I really liked that comparison because, like you were alluding to earlier, James, it um, it's a mind blowing third act, and so I like the idea of that third act just being your brain like going insane. You know? <laughs> yeah. If I can add uh, one thing, uh, I know that it's tempting to call this uh, like a horror movie, but yeah. I feel like the other uh, there's a it's paired with a sense of awe and wonder, um, and. Uh, that's something that that I'd like to reflect and explore on more. Is just that kind of handoff between the two. Uh, at one moment, you know, you're filled with this. Whoa, this is really amazing. What's going on here? Where can you take this? And then the next moment, you're like, Holy shit! You know, like, well, can I, yeah. It, can it, I swear? It, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely oh. swear. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you can swear. <laughs> So there were a lot of those moments. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, like, isn't that that goes to like the root of the word "awesome," right? Like, it's like this, like almost terrifying word, right? And, and yeah. that that in the truest form, I agree. It's 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 like you're amazed, but you're also terrified by what you're seeing. Yeah, um, totally agree. The the I mean, the body horror is is oh, I mean, geez. I I was not expecting any of this. I thought it would be creepy, some creatures, that kind of thing. But we got like full on like. I mean, we can talk about it in spoilers, but it, it what's funny is that this the marketing, I feel like, for this film is kind of because you were saying there are people even in your theater that you could tell were like, what is going on? And I feel like it's yeah. partly due to the marketing because I've seen a lot of trailers where it seems like this is going to be like an Aliens film. Like it's going to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to shoot some creatures. And uh, right. like specifically aliens, James Cameron's aliens, where it's like, yeah. we're going to, sh- yeah. we're going to be like, we're going to be going against the creatures. And it's, it's not, that's not what this film is, um, which right. I think can lead to some either disappointment or just like, I mean, I think it was, I think it was surprising and, and, and fun and I, I welcomed it, but I can definitely see why an audience member would be like, oh, wow, this isn't what I was promised. Yeah. I think I know what you mean by fun, but I don't know if I'd use that word for it. Um, <laughs> It's it's yeah it's 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 um it's fun in the way that like thinking about a concept and and feeling like your brain is expanding and and in that kind kind of thing like so uh, I don't want to get into any spoilers but um, yeah it it it's it's 
really fascinating movie yeah. and I really enjoyed seeing it. So I guess in that sense, it was fun. Yeah, I guess that's where I'm getting at is the, the fun for me was having seen having seen a great film. I had fun uh, having seen the, right. the movie and, and just like <laughs> reveling in that. So I wanted to say I, I thought that this was a really brilliant adaptation of a work that we both loved. And what I what I like about it is it's an adaptation that doesn't rely heavily on the source material. Um, in fact, I would say like half of it at least is like a completely new thing. But it's still, you know what I mean? Like it's still so closely tied to the source. It's not a completely different story either. And so I just think from the from the sense of our podcast, it's an interesting to look at an adaptation that is so different yet spiritually so similar. Um, and I think the two the two works work together in a, in a harmony that's really interesting that can show why a direct adaptation isn't always the best approach because I actually think this was the better approach for a film. If I could uh, uh, riff off of that, I had a couple uh, of thoughts. Uh, one is that a lot of the horror and the texture of the the book came from the the, the words, right? Mm. Uh, the the writing on the in in the tower uh, or or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, <laughs> here you had the, the the I was expecting to see those words and they never came up. Instead, you had this visual texture, right? The yeah. colors and and uh, um, all the different kind of fractal images and um, um, like the the director definitely ran with the, the the full visual power of film to to give you that sense of drive, that sense of awe and, and wonder and and terrifying awe home um so i thought that that was an interesting uh contrast to to see how both how the film translated you know that that feeling uh uh very differently than the, the novel did yeah i mean alex garland i think rightly realizes the strengths of the visual medium versus the written medium and re- was able to identify things that in the book work but wouldn't work as well on film and like you said, it was able to transition to something that I think worked even better. So did, did you find that, James? You, you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. So I, Alex Garland with with this film, um, I actually heard something pretty interesting in an interview that he did um, where he says that he read the novel one time. And from that one time, he chose to make the film based on what he felt narratively would work for for what he wanted to do and also you know how when you read something and you kind of start to get it starts to be like a lingering memory and it seems dreamlike he wanted to capture that for this film so he wanted it to be and he i i he's i in the interview he says that he spoke with jeff vandermeer and kind of got his blessing to do this and having just read it once he wanted to approach it and try to remember the things that he could and if he couldn't remember it fill in the gaps and kind of push it in his own direction and i mean i think that's amazing like i i I will say to what you were saying luke uh i have said on the podcast multiple times that i I feel that it's so much easier to to make a good film based on existing source material if you stick very closely to that. But easier doesn't necessarily mean better. And I think that in this case, in the right hands, you can take the source material and take that atmosphere that of that of, of like the annihilation the the novel was was going for. And and as long as you you know the themes that are trying to be expressed and the like we were saying before the the things that 
push the the it's it's pushing your mind in a way that you haven't been challenged before i just think that he he was able to capture that well and although it's not a direct adaptation i think it's it was great i i came into this as a huge jeff vandermeer fan uh you know and i i loved annihilation i loved the, the whole southern reach uh trilogy and so it was a high bar uh you know I, the, the, for the um uh, the film for me um and one way that I'm kind of reconciling the differences is to think of this as the, you know, how all the information coming out of the Area X, out of the Shimmer, uh, or at least in the novels, all the information coming out of the Area X is warped. You know, you had all the different expeditions going in. I, I almost want to think of this as one of those expeditions or somebody's memory of the expedition, you know, uh, that they're trying to, to relate. Uh, and I feel like I can almost put it into a continuity with the novel that way yeah I, I want that's awesome i really like that take that's that's cool i i mean th- i did want to say um this movie to me re- resists snap judgments i really struggled to 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 come up with something quick right after i saw it <sighs> and it felt like it was a movie that needed to be digested and that i honestly needed to like sit on it for a couple days and just think about it i had thoughts over the last few days that i kept writing down that were occurring to me like long after i'd seen it and and I think that's the way this movie really shines is that it, it does just like nest in your brain <laughs> um, like a fungus and, uh, and and whisper to you and remind you and, and you know, play those musical cues that are so striking and just like you keep revisiting it. And, and I don't know, like I feel like I've seen it. I've continued to see it for the days following the movie, even though I only saw it the once. Are you saying that we're infected by yeah, Area X now? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I believe it, man. I'm starting to think that maybe I I want to just like become one with nature. Like, <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I wanted to mention about uh, not in this non-spoiler section is uh, there's a lot being said right now for the way that this film is being distributed. Um, mm. As far as yeah. Paramount uh, was the studio that founded this film, and they saw a good up-and-coming director in Alex Garland. And they, they decided to work with him on a film that he felt passionate about making. So they signed on the dotted line. They greenlit this film. And he made the film. After some test screenings and things uh, came out, Paramount decided that they wanted it to release in the United States, in Canada, and in China at reduced at a reduced number of theaters and then release on Netflix in all other foreign markets. So this is, this is, I mean, it's kind of a hot button thing because it's like for some, for some viewers, they're going to be excited that it's on Netflix and they don't have to pay for it. But what they don't know is that they're, they're missing out on a cinematic experience that a filmmaker went out of, like they, they very specifically made this film to be seen in theaters. Alex Garland said he's, he's been quoted as saying that he's, he made this film to be seen on the big screen. And, and I, I just feel that whenever a filmmaker tells you that that's how they want their film to be seen, you should, you should always try to do it in that way. Yeah. Could you imagine seeing 2001 on, you know, on a laptop for the first time? <laughs> uh, I mean, right. I'm sure a lot of people do that, but as yeah. opposed to, you know, seeing it on the big screen. It's, it, that's a shame. Um, I wish that we lived in a world where, you know, we could get together and say, Hey, I, we want to see this movie on IMAX. So, do a showing on IMAX because that would be the ultimate way I think to see this film. Um, it's, it's, it sucks that, that, yeah, that that's going to happen. But ultimately like 
enjoy the movie see it how you can i think you know don't don't feel like you can't like oh i can't watch it now because i missed it in the theater no like you know watch it how you can turn turn the volume up i guess is the thing you know what i mean like get some surround sound speakers if you can crank the volume sit a little closer to the screen whatever you got to do you know really immerse yourself in this film and try and simulate it as best you can um i I was also talking about this the other night i'm really glad we live in a world where this movie can get made and you know, even though it's not going to have that mass appeal, this is not going to, you know, be a blockbuster film. Um, yet you can have a good budget. You can have a, a, you know, an actress like Natalie Portman in it, and you can get a fantastic film that has a niche audience. And I'm glad that we still live in a world where that can happen. And, and Hollywood, you know, is at least letting that happen in some way. And I wish maybe they leaned into it a little more, but, you know, I'm glad we got it. I, I agree with you. But the reason that I bring this up is because it worries me that this is studios losing faith in their in their yeah. filmmakers. Because we're looking at a we're looking at a situation where Denis Villeneuve directed Arrival, which was an an Oscar nominated film, and that's a sci fi heady cerebral film that yeah. audiences responded to. And then we get Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which comes out this year, and by the same director. And they they didn't pull anything. They they did a full release and everything, but it's seen now as a as a financial flop. And then the same thing here with Alex Garland. Ex Machina is a very. I mean, that's not the type of film that that gets made because it's going to make a ton of money. That's a that's a film that's made to be seen. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it it worries me that we could we could be in a situation here soon where where and they always are, but the studio will will want profit much more than they would want any sort of any sort of um successfully artistic film yeah unfortunately i think that's the song as old as you know hollywood at this point the studio is always going to want to make money um it does suck when when there's like a lack of confidence being displayed um by an unusual film or for an unusual film but you know I don't know. It, the time will tell, I guess, the legacy yeah. of this film. I mean, it just it seems like a bad move to me by Paramount because you burned a bridge with with a filmmaker who's going to go on to make some great stuff. I, I, I hope to see his next film on the big screen as as we saw this one. And, and uh, hopefully maybe people in, in foreign markets are able to see it on, on a big screen at some point as well. All right. We want to take a second to talk to you about Audible. Audible is an audiobook app that you're able to use to listen to a huge collection of audiobooks. Uh, they have basically anything you can think of, and they've been nice enough to give us an affiliate link. The affiliate link is audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And with that affiliate link, you're able to get 30 free days to their service and one free audiobook in their whole collection. Yeah, I think that's important to note. That credit is, is a equals a book. And what's really cool is right now I'm looking at I'm looking at the list, and you can get three books for one credit because they have a collection called the Area X Southern Reach Trilogy that includes Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance, all three books by Jeff Vandermeer in this in this uh, world. Get those all for one free credit, which we will give you if you sign up for it. So if you think about that, pretty good deal. I, I probably will use my credit in order to buy all three so that I can read the other two. Yeah, man, I am so excited to get to those other books. I've heard I've heard really interesting things. I've heard that they're written in different styles, which is really fascinating to me. So I'm excited to get to them, absolutely. And uh, if not only that, uh, there's also the Born. Uh, it's called Born novel by Jeff Vandermeer. I haven't read it, but I think it's one of his new ones. He has a few in that world too. And if it's anything like Annihilation, then then sign me up. So 
Yeah, right now you can use our link. It's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. You get that free credit and get three books. Are you guys ready to move, go into spoilers and really, really go down this rabbit hole? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, so I think the first thing we should address is some of the changes. The characters are now, they have full names instead yeah. of uh, just their titles. So Natalie Portman is Lena. She and Oscar Isaacs Kane are the husband and wife, biologist and husband. And then there's um, an additional person that goes on this on this uh, mission with them into Area X or into the Shimmer, as they call it in, in the film. Off the bat, like, what do you think about some of these changes? And not just not just the name change. What are some changes that stood out to you? I, I mean, obviously, the um, as someone who read uh, the next two, the full trilogy, the the ending <laughs> is is very very uh, different. Uh, yeah. And and from what I understand, um, uh, Garland uh, didn't even I don't think um, authority and uh, uh, acceptance were even out yet when he. Um, uh, basically came up with the script for for annihilation wow. uh, and and he didn't i think he chose not to even read those mm-hmm. so um so the the ending is definitely a, a huge huge difference in and how everything is kind of wrapped up uh in a way that's very different from the novels so i i guess right here while we're, while we're at this point uh, if you guys want to go ahead and say how you felt about it because it, it sounds, I think, from what I gather, I, we all liked it. But I would love to hear your thoughts on it as well. Um, yeah, I think uh, the main thing is uh, I came away from uh, reading the Southern Reach trilogy with um, a lot of questions unanswered, but in a way that, in that pleasant way that <laughs> you know that keeps you you thinking and, and wondering. And uh, uh, where this, I felt like uh, a lot of things were um, uh, wrapped up a little too neatly for me at the end. Um, I'm still, like Luke said, I'm still thinking about that. Um, But um, that was the one thing at the theater that I felt. I kind of wanted to have some more questions. I wanted, I wanted the shimmer to, to, to continue. (laughs) Yeah. I see what you're saying. I mean, and and I think it kind of does. I mean, we're, we're in full spoilers here for the very end. (laughs) Um, But you know, and I was, uh, you know, we talk about it now, but you know, we see, we see the shimmer kind of in their eyes at the end. And so I think that was his kind of, it lives ending like a little bit of, of that. It does carry on. Um, But I also felt like it was a decision that he made to try and wrap this film up. Um, maybe with the knowledge that there was going to be future books, but he wanted this this movie to stand alone. Um, so he wanted to give some sort of um, closure to an audience that I think rightfully he was going to feel like is on the ropes going, what the fuck did I just see? <laughs> you know, and he's, it still was because, you know, we see the two characters at the end with it, with it in their eyes. And what does that even mean? Um, which we can talk about now or we can talk about later. But <laughs> So I agree. Uh, as the shimmer was coming down, I felt like I this that was a change that I I kind of wished like I kind of liked the ambiguity. I would have loved to have had a little bit more ambiguity, but I mean, all in all, I, I was really happy with it, and I think that having them, I mean, after after the mind fuck that was that third act, and then seeing all the weirdness that went on, having them having them walk away and kind of being assimilated or whatever whatever that was supposed to represent that's kind of what it represented to me uh i i felt like i felt like i i i understood it 
I didn't feel like it was quite as strong of an ending as as the novel had because it was just a powerful. There was no bookend; it was just w- continuing on, and I like that idea. Um, but I, I think I, at the end of the day, I, I did enjoy it and I liked it. Um, since we've jumped this far ahead, I think we should just <laughs> jump into the uh, into that that thing that you were talking about a second ago, Luke. So I, I was going to ask you to like so when you, when we see that the copy of Oscar Isaac's Kane character. Um, has been healed by the shimmer coming down and that she is with him and they they embrace at the end and they both have the shimmer sort of in their eyes. What what does that mean to you? Like what is, because in the movie, I think it leans heavily on the idea that this is an alien and um, maybe not maybe not clearly stating that it is, but it felt strongly implied to me that this is an alien being of some or an alien force of some kind. And how is it that the alien is destroyed yet persists in these two characters? Maybe, or is that even what you read from that scene? Well, I mean, I so we actually talked about this in our last episode, Luke, where we were talking about perception and and the idea that the the camera, for the most part, the camera can't hide anything from the audience. Right. And I felt like with the final scene, with all the things, they were like mirroring each other and like there was like a sort of like like assimilation moment or something. Like I feel like that was the way that Alex Garland was trying to say we're not supposed to know which I think it's I think it's I still think that it's it was the alien or the beings that held onto that flash grenade at the end, that phosphorus. But yeah. I think that it's it's supposed to either say she's been fully assimilated or it was the it carrying on in some way like i just think that we we were supposed to be confused about all of what was happening in that in with all with that all going on she was knocked out a few times and like i just think that it was his way of of making it so that we had some sort of unreliable narrator through the camera and i felt like it almost uh, it was showing that it really didn't matter whether you were a copy, you know, uh, born from a drop of blood, uh, you know, the way that uh, um, I'm assuming that that's how uh, Kane's uh, copy was made was the mm-hmm. same way that uh, Lena's was. Like, it doesn't matter if you're that or if you've just been transformed slowly internally, you know, by the forces, the refraction, genetic refra- refractions in the shimmer. Like, it's all ultimately, you know, you're being transformed that's kind of what I got out of that, that last moment, you know, looking at their eyes. So it was more that they had, that she had been transformed than she was like a host for the alien in some way. That That's kind of what I felt. Okay. Uh, I mean, because the whole thing was about all of these transformations, right? Um, yeah. Like we saw that, uh, especially that one scene. Oh my goodness. The, the, the you know, the cutting open. <laughs> uh, yeah. That one guy's uh, uh, from the previous expedition, his belly stomach, and yeah, seeing the all the intestines yeah. moving around. Man, that was a great that was a great body horror moment for this film that I was not expecting. And <laughs> man, that 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 hit me that hit me because yeah, I don't know, just the image of them kind of like shifting and moving like 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 tentacles or snakes or something in there. <laughs> Deeply unsettling, and I loved Oscar Isaac's. Like, doesn't get a lot to do in this movie, but his eyes in that in that, in that video, <laughs> like, he looks so insane. Like, I, it's so good. Like he looked almost happy. Yeah. Right. Like he was like, "Hey, check this out." Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> you know, instead of being like, "I'm gonna throw up now," he yeah. he he looked 
fascinated. And they, um, they, they, they transitioned that scene directly into them finding the, the um, empty pool with the thing on the wall, you know, the, the, the le- what was left on the wall and the knife when she finds the knife in the water and it's like clear that this was that guy. Like those two back to back, man, like this is before we even get to that crazy third act. But right there, I was just like, holy shit, like that was some brilliant stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was amazing that I mean, when when his intestines were squirming all around, I was like, oh, God, this is like crazy (laughs) watery horror. And then uh, I mean, that that I love that the characters are affected in the same way that we are, because that's later like the motivation for that character who captures them. And she's like, are my insides doing that right now? Like she it has haunted her, you know? I mean, it's, I I would be so, I would be torn up too. The, um, talking about this fluidity and stuff, I thought that that was so cool. And I, that's definitely a change from the novel, right? That there wasn't, there, there wasn't this idea that their skin was flowing and, and like by all, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's not necessarily not true in the novel, but it's not as like highlighted, I guess, like, because there's a lot of unknowns in the novel too, but I like like I like the idea of it. It feels like it could have been true. Like maybe the Shimmer worked yeah. in this kind of way, um, but it also kind of feels like maybe that was just Alex Garland's take on what was happening in the novel. I love that motif that they had going on though. With the, the it, it happened very early on, but the the glass of water where their hands were like, um, sorry, mm. Oscar Isaac and Natalie Portman's characters' hands were met in the middle of this of this glass of water. And it showed mm-hmm. like they were moving back and forth and you saw through the glass, like the fluidity and how it was like changing and there were one and not. And then uh, the blood dropping into the water from, I mean, I thought that was so cool. And then throughout, they're talking about their their hands and their fingerprints are, are in motion. And I mean, <laughs> just the idea that this is how, I thought that was so cool. And visually he was able to express it so well. Um, I mean, gosh, that was so, so much fun. One one thing that kept coming to mind was uh, um, uh, uh, cancer and mu- and mutation, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, cancer mutation can mean death in a horrible way, or it can also mean, you know, uh, evolution. You, cha- you change from yeah, like a a, a, a ground hugging lizard into a you know something that soars through the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, and and you're seeing that on you know fast forward in in the in the movie both both directions, right? Like the horror and also the the wonder yeah that leads me right into something else i wanted to say um that mutation the idea that this being um okay let me back up so if you if you do a lot of research or listen to a lot of podcasts or whatever it is we way to do it about aliens you'll start to encounter the idea that our perception of what aliens could be is very based off of our perception of our own consciousness and our own you know mo's and and life and and we we often project that onto an alien being what i love about this movie and book so much is it's one of the best examples of a alien consciousness that is unknowable that is so removed from human motivation that you can't figure out what it wants. And, and at the end of the movie, she says, I don't know it. Maybe it didn't want anything. And I love yeah. that too, because it's like all of this terribleness, all of this murder and insanity, it's all almost a side effect of its presence. It's not like it's doing this out of some malicious thing. It's just here and, and it's creating and it's changing, but 
because of the way nature works, those uh, those transformations are often bloody and 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 violent. Um, but it's not like it's doing that out of some sort of malicious intent, you know? Right. I I was going to say something similar to this. The the idea that that we see these creatures and they seem hideous to us because they're they're just altered and we see it that we perceive this as like evil and yet it is it is just survival right at its basic at its basic level this whatever this biological occurrence is or whatever these aliens are these creatures they're doing what they at their base instinct is just surviving and so it's just it's and and to think of the whole thing all of the goings on within as kind of just being a survival whether like we can't we don't see it from their perspective until late into the film i think and i think that's amazing i just wanted to say that skull-faced boar bear with human voice is pretty close to evil (laughs) (laughs) no but even that even that i felt like yeah it was accidental like she even says um and i love the explanation the film gave that joan i think was the character was dying and as she died because of this refraction everything's changing and picking up um other traits it borrows the trait of her like death rattle and death call yeah and then it was giving like god that scene was so good and terrifying and and man i loved it and yeah to have it and i think this is the creature in the book that's like the moaning creature in the in the swamp Mm -hmm. um but it it just is it's more present and more uh thrilling encounter um but yeah it's like that the the thing opening its mouth and letting out this terrifying death rattle it, i mean that's so cool and then the way that uh, she thought that that was joan outside and ran out there yes. it's so good Dude, horrifying <laughs> i mean it was it was so scary like i i genuinely was like this has to stop because this is way too unnerving for me right now and it was it was just done so perfectly because you you could kind of sense her voice in it but it wasn't over the top it wasn't it was still bestial you yeah. know it's like it was like, like a, it was like the 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 suggestion of the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And and so just revisiting uh, that, it also reminds me that in the moment at the end of the movie, which is flash forward in the beginning, you know, it's because it's kind of nonlinear. Um, I got a, the strong sense that Lena is it Lena or is yes. Lena right? Lena. Lena. Yeah, that Lena regretted or had some regret about how everything went down at the lighthouse. Um, because she even says, you know, at some point she says, I attacked it, if anything. And yeah. I think that was a revelation that she felt like she was terrified in the moment and didn't understand and defensively lashed out and ultimately killed this thing that, like I said, like, I feel like a lot of the terrible things it was doing was accidental to me, at least. That's my reading of it. Yeah, like like it just she saw it as a threat or as evil, so she did what she thought was right, which was be would be to survive, whereas that's probably the exact same thing the other creature was trying to do. The other thing I want to talk about in this scene is, I mean, the visuals are unbelievable. Just coming into oh, this this scene and the psychedelic nature of it and the almost like um, kaleidoscope. Yes, kaleidoscope effect that was going on in this like in this like portal of some kind and the drop of blood and I mean well and the 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 slender man version of the <laughs> blank faced alien that and the sound cue like this movie 
tells you what's happening on screen with through sound almost more than mm-hmm. anything because there's no dialogue for much of that third act but that um it's like synth like dubstep sound but it's just like it's um it's like out of tune mm-hmm. and discordant as it like as it every time it moves you get this new tone and i found that so affecting i, I mean what was your read on that that whole scene that that third act scene remy oh geez um I'm still I'm still trying to parse through all of that. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off for the moment if, if that's okay. Yeah, do you want you want to give it a shot, James? You're asking what I thought about what I'm what I make of the scene in general. Yeah, with that third act where she's kind of interacting with the the Slender Man version of the alien. I mean, I th- what, okay, what is so, your so takeaways from that scene? the obvious takeaway is that it's a complete departure and a complete like it's 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 you know it's in a totally different direction so with that being said and knowing that i feel like it was like uh, like i like i was saying before i really like the techniques that were being employed because he was using he was using the camera to tell a story that we weren't supposed to necessarily be able to 100 percent walk away having comprehended so he was like he wanted to make it as confusing as possible while also having answers in there I also wanted to say there are a couple of reveals within the scene, like when uh, Kane, Oscar Isaac's character, is he's recording himself and you think he's alone. And then the other Kane walks into frame after he's after he's burned himself up. Great reveal. Um, did not see that coming. I thought that was great. Something specific I wanted to mention about this film is is framing that he uses in blocking and lighting. So throughout the film, the lighting is almost through the shimmer. All the lighting that's coming through is is yeah. like multicolored, yeah. like very dreamlike. And the framing, I think from what I saw a few times, he's he's trying to unnerve the audience and make them feel like something's off the whole time because normally if somebody's looking a certain direction, you want to give them space in the frame to where they can there's there's a certain amount of empty space in the direction that they're looking but there were a few times that he would put the character at the edge of frame looking into something we couldn't see and the open space is behind them and just employing certain things like that and um using as you were saying before the the score to tell to tell the story i just thought was like he he's doing so many things subliminally and subtly to to just put you on edge um, if I can talk a little bit about that scene too, I um my my the I keep coming back to it, like I said, and revisiting it in my mind. And to me, if you accept my idea that this alien is essentially whether it is itself a being of change or it is somehow enacting change, it feels like it's you know the shimmer and it and it are forces that activate like an ex- extremely accelerated evolution, like Remy was saying. And why it does that, I don't know. And I don't know if maybe it even can control it. Maybe it just does it naturally. That's just how it is. Um, But when she comes face to face with it, I got a definite sense of curiosity out of the alien. Like it was trying to understand her. And I thought that was a nice echo of the book where when she encounters the crawler, um, she has the revelation where she feels like it now has all, it now understands the story of her. And the words that she is could be written on the wall. And I felt like that's what this alien was doing in this third act. Because it mirrors her. 
And I thought in, in a really crazy way, because it's not looking at her or anything, it doesn't even have eyes, but it mirrors her body in movements, right? And really unsettling, but also almost in a way that you would do if you were trying to understand something, maybe? I don't know. I just realized, I think one of the reasons why it's hard for me to articulate that um, my feelings about that, that uh, last uh, act, and I think it's because I don't see the alien as, I don't see that encounter with this humanoid, you know, the Slender Man version, mm-hmm. um, as the encounter with the alien. I, they've been encountering the alien from the moment she started talking to, to Kane when he showed up at, at her front door, you know, or not even at her front door inside the house. Right. Um, and from the moment they were entering the Shimmer, um, they were the, I feel like that whole thing was the alien, that the alien was entering them and transforming them. And, and now they're part of the alien. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> what you were saying, uh, uh, Jim's earlier about uh, uh, I want to be one with nature. I was like, like, well, they're all kind of one with the alien, and and the alien is one with the the nature in the shimmer. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's all kind of uh, blended together. And so I think of the alien in this not as like those those forms that you see at the end are, are like fingers or like uh, you know uh, some extension yeah. of what what the the true alien is you know and maybe the heart of the alien is in that light uh but not in those bodies Um, yeah the the bodies are just part of the attempt to kind of interact that that's kind of what i got out of that yeah you know and and i agree with that i guess it just it's it's how much of um do we think that the extension of of itself is still like a part of like you know like our hand is still us and so if the copy is 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 that is it that closely tied or is it like a separate thing now that's that's split off? I don't know. And I don't know that we can know from the movie, you know, and yeah, you know, maybe the entire shimmer and everything within it is all the alien or is the shimmer and everything within it some sort of aura being cast from a central point and that central point of light or energy is actually the alien. I don't know. And I think it's also really interesting that the psychologist in this film, who is pretty different but similar to the psychologist in the book, when we when we meet her in that third act and she is in the, she's down in the hole, um, when we first see her, I don't know if you guys caught this, but like she has no eyes. Yeah. At first. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought like she, like she's blinded or something, and I thought that was a really cool symbolic way because often the symbolism of someone having no eyes can maybe mean that they have found a, a, a different form of sight. And so I like mm, to think that she yeah. has been spending time down there and has connected with this thing in a way. And then I wanted to get your takes on it. And I have a thought, but I don't know if I even like it, but why does she ev- sort of evaporate and become this tunnel and everything? Like it's the psychologist that actually kind of explodes into the alien that that we encounter, right? Um, and why why does that happen? Why isn't she just made as a copy? I guess, and I, I have a theory, but I'd like to get your takes. I, I want to say that I feel like one way that you can analyze this film is to just look at all the deaths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I mean, every death is yeah. so well. Most of the deaths are very different uh, from each other, right? Uh, right. And um, um, I don't have an answer to that, but I think it's yeah. I mean, you've got people transforming into. 
someone who makes peace inside of themselves. Uh, that's, uh, is it, uh, Josie, uh, um, um, she makes peace with it. Right. And then kind of walks in and I think she's transformed into, um, one of those, uh, flower sculptures. Yeah. She embraces that. I really like that scene. Yeah. That was, that was really, really that, good. Talk then, about unsettling though. Seeing those, uh, sprouts coming out of her veins. <laughs> oh yeah. Ooh, gives me shivers. Yeah, so I, that might be, um, I'm, I'm kind of, that's one way that I'm attempting to grapple with the film is to think about each of the characters, think about what they were struggling with, think about how they died um, because their deaths are so different, you know? Um, and so I'm kind of curious to see what people say, what, what you all say about the psychologist and, and her her transformation, her death. Yeah, I, I really like that because I feel like each death like you're saying is very different and also very specific to the person that that like to what their story was or what their their life was like um and i think that as far as me this is just full-on brainstorm session but i feel like with the psychologist when she was in when she was when she kind of embraced that i feel like it had something to do with the fact that she was so close to death because she knew she knew she had already accepted right. death basically she had gone in knowing that she was going to see this lighthouse or and die basically like she that was like her goal and having completed that and having finished what she like wanted to finish maybe the alien or creature or whatever it is responds to this in some way and uh, like i don't know what to draw from that but i feel like it had something to do with her closeness to death so, so yeah, I, I like the idea that she's really close to death. And that's what I kept thinking about her having cancer. And I was wondering if maybe her body having cancer could explain why she was essentially destroyed instead of, if, if that's even what happened to her, um, instead of being copied. Like her, she was like, you know what I mean? Like um, an imperfect right. specimen to copy because she already had this growth inside of her um which we don't know how far along it could have been all throughout her body for all we know right it's also the one time in the film i think that we hear the word annihilation yeah because i was i was waiting for that the whole film i was like when are we going to hear the word (laughs) and it is interesting that the psychologist also says annihilation the first time we hear it in the book in a very different Mm -hmm. situation but she does um now i also thought the the character of the psychologist was being combined with the lighthouse keeper because mm. she also kind of became the embodiment of the crawler and the um, the caretaker kind of thing. Like she had this relationship with the with the be- the the thing at the end, and so I, I liked the kind of the economy there. Rather than introducing this other character that we don't know, the lighthouse keeper, they he was able to take that role and give it to the psychologist. Yeah, I like that. I had a question uh, to throw out, and I, okay. um, yeah. How is this different from having an all-female expedition as opposed to... I mean, we see a little bit of contrast uh, with the all-male expedition. And one thing I kind of did like about this movie is that um, the men are largely uh, offstage, right? Like, they, they do provide uh, context and motivation and, and uh, depth to the, the film, but, it's, but it really is focused on these women. But I'm kind of curious because... Yeah, well, how how this would have been different if it was an all male expedition, and what 
what value was gained, you know, um, by having it uh, all female. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I'm going to get into some fairly crass gender generalizations here, but I think this, I mean, this movie is handling it in a subtle way and I'm not going to be subtle, but um, I think men often um, are more aggressive and often maybe uh, less I don't know. Something could be said about women and uh, maybe like childbearing and your maybe women's comfort with um, things that men might find more off-putting with their own bodies. And so if you have an all-woman women uh, group, maybe they're going to be more open to and maybe resistant to even like going insane because of change. Um, whereas men are maybe more rigid and not used to having those kind of changes. Um, and then also, yeah, I mean, we see like the violence inherent in the, in the male, um, expedition when we watch, you know, when we watch some of these videos and I think the idea that men want, would want to attack, I think is a pretty safe assumption that often men are going to view something as a foe that needs to be conquered and maybe women would be different in that regard. Um, I don't know if that's what he was going for, but I guess that's my own, uh, my own thoughts about it. And maybe that's a comparison point too between this and Arrival, uh, where you have women engaging, right, yeah. rather than attacking. Yeah, I can imagine an all-male cast, and not only that, but the expectations of the audience, if they were watching an all-male military group moving in, that they would maybe expect it to be more of a kind of testosterone-filled, you know, action film or something. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I mean, and instead of the cerebral one that we got. Yeah. yeah, as far as generalizations go, like you said, I think that the the tendency would be to to be more aggressive or more, um, like you're saying, resistant or violent towards so, like like um, beings or or anything else that would potentially be coming their way, like like issues, and um, w- even within the group, there may be more like headbutting going on. And, um, whereas with the, with the female group, they would be more like patient or like able to articulate or like analyze and, and be come from it from a perspective of, I guess, just exploration. Okay. Does does that help you at all, Remy? Do you yeah, agree? I feel like I didn't have a great answer for that one. Sorry. I, I didn't have a great answer either. That's one reason I wanted to ask the, the question. Yeah, um, one thing I wanted to point out before before I forget is um, remember in our in our book episode, James, I uh, complimented because I started realizing he was doing this. He would often lead into a, an important scene by giving us a flashback first, and then he would transition from that flashback and have it inform the scene that followed. And I thought that was a cool device he was using. I noticed that this movie does the same thing. Did you catch that? Yeah, I saw a bit of that. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the episode with the knife episode, the knife flashback in the video thing, and and not even just that, but back into when before she was in the dome. Yeah, specifically um, when he, we actually got like title cards of different like sections, like it was like the tower and the shimmer and the I think the lighthouse or something like it, it was like the movie was segmented in that way, right? Right. And every time we got one of those cards, I believe every time that happened, it immediately followed that with a flashback that then led into the the thing kind of being described. So it was like the lighthouse. And then we got a flashback to the the, the final um, day where, where the husband left and they had the argument about her cheating and all of that. Um, and then it went into the actual scene. 
And so it was interesting that the, he used, it just seemed to me like Alex Garland identified that device, liked it, and decided to put it into his film. And I just think that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely see that. Something else that I realized that he was doing was was in the way that in the way that I felt like the book gave you time to breathe and to experience Area X. I feel like Garland also did a great job of allowing us to sit with things that have happened and 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 just be in awe of one that really sticks out to me was was when uh Lena first gets to the the beach area that's close to the lighthouse. And she drops her equipment and starts walking to the lighthouse. And we just get this shot of the beach with these like crystallized trees and and, like just like those moments stick with me a lot because it's it's contemplative time. It's time to think about the things that we've seen. And I I just think that it was and the skulls and the rib cages (laughs) laid out in front of the it was so ominous and and inexplicable. Why would this ever happen? And um I think it it really shows like I, I talked earlier about this kind of the idea of the unknowable and that's very big in the book too right and how when faced with the unknowable like a, a reaction is to go insane um um and I think that's also really clearly illustrated in the video because uh Kane I got a strong sense that when he killed himself he didn't know who he was if he was even like, I think he even says like, I might be Kane. I might be someone else. I don't know. Like he was so far gone. He didn't even know who he was, what was happening. He's sitting there talking to a copy of himself. So I can, I can, I can understand how it would be. So like, you know, such a mind fuck. And that is, was put on screen so well, like that insanity. And like, I, I love seeing that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'll never, what's burned into my mind more than a lot of the images is just his expression uh, when after he's cut open the 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 belly of his his uh, yeah. his mate you know like whoa yeah it was like he like, had proved something right and i think yeah. that's what it was he was like he, he he had proved something that he desperately needed to show and he was happy in that moment yeah and that's that's so cool yeah i agree I feel like I feel like so much of what made this movie memorable and, and powerful were all of those tensions, right? The that you had the like the the moment on the beach, you had the crystal trees, but then you had the skeleton garden. You know, yeah. you had uh, these beautiful flowers, but they're in the shape of a a human or this wondrous, you know, growth on the pool wall that that used to be a person, you know, Um, like those tensions between the the beauty and the horror, like kind of mixed together. Yeah. I, once again, I just want to shout out the production design because that, that blooming, like after they cut him open and how he bloomed like that and was just completely separated was so amazing. (laughs) Like, I mean, I'm sure it was augmented with CG and stuff, but it seemed like there was some, there was an actual set there that they, that, that, I mean, and it looked amazing. So, and I, I will also mention that I saw a lot of like practical, practical th- things going on in this film as far as set design. And, and I mean, the gator, the, when they, when we were opening the, the alligator's mouth, um, it's cool just to, to know that there's something there that they're physically rea- like acting with. Yeah, I mean, and and one of the last thoughts I have, and and then maybe you guys can wrap up with yours. Um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about story structure um, for my own novel that I'm working on, and 
there's a lot of hate that can get tossed out about three act structure and because it can be it can be like safe and it can be recognizable and i loved that this movie fits neatly into three acts because this is a great example of how just because of something is structured in a simple way doesn't mean at all that the story is simple and I love the idea. And it's also the beauty of the three-act structure where where that rising action can lead to a crescendo that can be so powerful. And that's what we get in that third act. Mm-hmm. And um, so that makes me feel better about about a three-act structure. And and, and and I think there can be a, a, a feeling that people always want to reinvent the wheel and, and think that they need to reinvent story. And I like the idea that a fairly accepted you know, quote unquote, normal structure can lead to a movie like this or to a book like we got. I mean, I agree. Yeah. As far as, as far as a three act structure goes, um, I understand, like you said, why people would want to, would want to break that and, and try something new to see if it would work well. But the, I feel like it's like, it's, it's such a perfect way to bring an audience in, put the characters in situations that they can't overcome and then have them overcome it or not overcome it. Like it just, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it makes sense to me too, to um, whenever you want to throw something really weird at someone, I think if you throw too much weirdness at someone, um, they shut down, right? They, they just, I can't take this. Um, but if you give them some way to ground themselves uh, and maybe in this case, maybe the plot structure, you know, is, is something that they can latch on to. Uh, then you can hold them by the hand and introduce them to all kinds of weirdness, you know? So I think that that's, um, I, I work with weird fiction. And so I, I think that's uh, something that I want to try to remember is that I can't just, you know, vomit huge amounts of weird on people. <laughs> I have to, uh, you know, uh, give them something tangible, something to hold on to, uh, you know, so that then I can knock them off balance, you know, <laughs> and I think that both Jeff and uh, Garland, you know, have done a great job uh, with that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I did. I just had another thought that um, I wanted to call out in the in the in the movie itself. Uh, the psychologist and Lena have a have a discussion about self-destruction that I thought was really Ooh. powerful moment. Yeah. where she has identified that that something in their relationship was self-destructive. And maybe she doesn't even know. I mean, I might say she, I'm sorry, the psychologist. And she even kind of calls Lena out on it, like, you would understand better than me. And then we get the flashback to the cheating, right? And we understand that this was a sort of inexplicable self-destructive moment. And I like the idea because it expands out to all of us. And, and, and you know, they, she even says destabilizing the safe job and, and we can all appreciate the idea of, you know, sabotaging a safe relationship, uh, you know, abusing alcohol and drugs, things like that. Self-destruction is a big part of human existence. And why is that a thing? Like, it almost defies reason that we would do this. Like, why would we ever do this? And I don't know. I, I don't know that I have a good answer for that. But I think that theme is tied up in the movie somehow. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so prominent. Yeah, I think he's trying to make a comment. Not that this is the answer, but this is kind of my takeaway. Like he's trying to make the comment that it's a it's a natural, like not just natural, but like it's a nature thing. Like it's something that happens yeah. in nature that whether it's humans or, or whatever else it is, is there is this self-destructive and redemptive thing within all of us. It's like programmed into our cells even. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and honestly, maybe it's the thing that makes us different because... 
I mean, I don't know, like the the creatures, the those deer they saw in the you know she sees in the field, or I call them deer, but whatever they were, um, deer like creatures, like they seem almost at peace, whereas the humans are struggling so much, right? And there's so much like death and grief and sadness and insanity, and and maybe it's our consciousness and our struggles with the existential that drives us um, to self destruct, and when faced with this setting those um those drives are what's creating like the that's almost the antagonist of the of the movie is that that drive in us getting thrown out of whack by whatever this alien is i don't know that's you know i'm just spitballing here but what do you guys think of that (laughs) i like it it sounds right to me Cool. So uh, how about we, we, I think we're going good on time here. So how about we go ahead and wrap up and, and have our final thoughts about this movie and we can kind of go around um, and, and do that. I think I've, I've said enough for now. So do you want to start out, uh, James? Sure. So, I mean, lastly, something that I, that I definitely want to say is um, the performances. Uh, Natalie Portman is great as usual. Jennifer Jason Lee, it's always great to see her in a film. She she was extremely extremely unsettling throughout the whole film. The way that she <laughs> talked to people, just that on its own like the the dictation was was Is that was the psychologist I'm assuming? Yes, yes. Dr. Yeah, yeah. Ventress. She she yeah, was like she was... really really off-putting the whole time. And I mm-hmm. thought she might have been an alien from the start or not, like infected from the start. <laughs> um Tessa Thompson like between Creed uh, Thor Ragnarok and this Tessa Thompson's becoming one of my favorite yes. actors. Uh, yeah, she was great. Oscar Isaac, amazing as usual, and Gina Rodriguez. I wanted to say she she was fantastic in this movie. Like as as like confused as her character was and how like on edge she was. She she went from being like the playful, fun character to being the most on like she to to turning on the entire expedition. And like her, her, her role was, was amazing. And then, uh, her name is Tuva Novotoni was Cass. And I thought she did a great job as well. I, I haven't seen her in anything else, else up to this point, but she, she, I, when she went down and then also when we heard her voice in that bear creature, uh, like I really felt for her character. And, uh, I mean, all in all, I, I think that, like I said before, I would recommend this to hardcore sci-fi fans and anybody who's looking for something weird and new and unique, because I do think that this film is unique, um, as was the the novel. All right, Remy, how about you? Um, actually, uh, yeah, you said a lot of uh, <laughs> what, what uh, I wanted to say. Uh, I wanted to call out, uh, I mean, you have this uh, cerebral intense uh you know science fiction horror movie uh all female cast with uh, strong um um uh, uh poc characters as well uh yeah i wanted to highlight in particular uh, tessa thompson's performance it's just the contrast between her and and um uh, gina rodriguez's uh uh performances um uh, that was actually one of the most terrifying moments well the most peaceful and the, like wonder-filled and most uh, with Tessa Thompson's transformation mm-hmm. and uh, Gina turning Gina's character, uh, what, what was uh, um, Anya? Anya, was yeah. Her, uh, yeah. Uh, when Anya turned on the expedition, it was just as frightening as a lot of the, uh, uh, the more terrifying alien moments <laughs> in the film. Um, 
what this movie makes me want to do is to see it again and again yeah. uh, because I feel like I'll get something new out of it and I'll it'll, it'll churn my brain more. Uh, it also makes me want to go back and read the books again. So I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is this is a sign of great art, you know. So uh, yeah, definitely, I would encourage everyone. You know, um, hopefully, people who have made it through the spoilers have have seen the movie. Go see the movie again. <laughs> you know, if you haven't read the books, go read the books. Um, I think it'll enrich the the full experience. Yeah, completely agree with that. I think uh, yeah, at this point, if you're here, you've probably seen the movie. But yeah, if you check out the books, if you want more, um, and and but also slightly different look at this, you know what I mean? Like it's not the same. But um, I I am so excited and interested in reading the second and third novel in this trilogy. Um, like I'm gonna do that for sure soon. Um, yeah, I, I like I like I I just I've been thinking about this movie. and It feels like um, kind of the like if you think of like Arrival as the yin, this is the yang of that. Um, alien encounter story right it's it's they're both like of a of a kind because they're so cerebral and they're so kind of mind-blowing each in their own way but this is the dark version of that (laughs) this is the version of something unknowable and inexplicable that doesn't go well for us maybe because of who we are um and that's but that it's interesting because that has some of its dna in in, an arrival as well like i these movies are interesting because they're by different directors but and by different writers source material but I do feel like they cover thematically some interesting, there's some interesting overlap, I guess. And I find that really fascinating. And yeah, I look forward to uh, to reading the next books by Jeff Vandermeer um, because I, I was a huge fan of that, of, of, of Annihilation. I know James was too. Definitely. All right. So I guess we'll leave it there. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for joining us, Remy. Yes. Thank you so uh, much for coming on. Oh, God. Yeah. Thank you for, for having me aboard. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. Anytime. I hope you come back for a future project, maybe down the road. Uh, we, we could we could use your takes again. Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to, to join. Um, so if people uh, wanted to find you online and maybe uh, uh, connect and follow some of your, your weird fiction, uh, <laughs> how can they do that and where can they find you? Uh, so I'm on, um, uh, my name is Remy Nakamura. And so my handle is uh, Remy Mura, R-E-M-Y-M-U-R-A. And uh, that's the handle that I use uh, on both uh, Instagram, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and I'm also at uh, Mind on fire, uh, com is, uh, um, that's a great my, domain. My I'm, I'm, that's cool that you got that, man. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, uh, I've had it for, geez, probably about 18, 19 years now. Wow. So. Nice get. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Of course. Yeah. It was so much fun. Thank you for coming on. All right. That was our conversation with Remy. I wanted to thank him one last time for, sh- for coming on. Uh, he can be found online at www.mindonfire.com. Uh, or you can follow him on Instagram, where he is at Remy Mura, R-E-M-Y-M-U-R-A. Yeah, thanks so much again for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Also, if you wanted to find Ink to Film on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. And we're pretty active on there. So if you wanted to send anything our way, we'll see that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you would like to send us feedback directly, like if you want to ask us a question about our upcoming project, uh, A Wrinkle in Time, um, which we should announce. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, send that to inktofilm at gmail.com and we can uh, respond to any questions or any feedback you might have and maybe we'll bring it up on the show. 
And also, if you wanted to help out the show, the best way you can do that is to subscribe. It really helps us out and it helps you get your your episodes day one in your in your feed. Yeah. Or follow us on Spotify. (laughs) Yeah. Follow us on Spotify. We're on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast, leave reviews, subscribe. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other thing you can do to help us on social media is share our uh, episodes around, you know, do a post like share our posts however you want to do it, that would be a great help. You know, you kind of kind of spread, like like we said in the last episode, we want to grow, you know, so you can help us out. Oh, and that reminds me, uh, I have a short story that is coming out tomorrow, if you are listening to this on day one, that's Friday, March 2nd, it'll be coming out. And yeah, it's like a weird fantasy story. So if you like this kind of thing, you should check it out. It's called Always Dawn to Forever Night, and you can find that on uh, metaphorosis.com uh, or I think it might be metaphorosis.magazine.com I think either one you can find it actually uh, it's an online magazine where you can read it for free so you don't have to pay anything you check it out uh, then yeah reach out to me on social media and let me know what you think um, I'm excited about it cool man I'm looking forward to it can't wait to read it so lastly we just want to say thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music which is killer this week by the way I really like it yeah, I'm a fan of this one. It's got that like dark, like, I don't know. It's just like, Last of Us vibe. Yes. So yeah, thank you to Ross Bugden for that. And also thank you to Audible for our affiliate link. That's again, that is audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And you get 30 free days and one free credit. So sign up. And lastly, thank you to Remy for coming on. It was a lot of fun and we appreciate it. We hope to have you on again soon. Absolutely. And we hope you join us next week for our A Wrinkle in Time novel episode. Looking forward to that. Uh, Until then, I'm Luke. And I'm James. See ya.